afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to call in the ancestors. I would like to call in my ancestors and yours, the ancestors of everyone who will listen to this show live or downloaded. I'd like to call in all that brings, all those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful to our ancestral, from our ancestral lines to us here today. We call in these energies to be with us to hold space, that we might speak and we might hear that you can ask the questions you need to ask and receive the answers that you need from the spirits. We call out the ancestors to be with us here today so so that we may begin to understand shamanism as a human, global response to our human, everyday needs. So we call out to those ancestors to be with us here today and to hold space that we might have this sacred dialogue. We call out to the earth below, the great spirit of this planet, We call out to the great spirits of the land on this planet, to the spirits of the land under your feet, and those nature spirits that are with you, temporal and changing. We call out to the spirit of nature and the spirit of wilderness. We call out to all these energies that make home for us here on this planet. We ask them to be with us here today that we might be grounded, that we might be present here together and feel our connection and ultimately our interconnectedness with all things. We call out to the spirit of the earth to be with us here today. We rise up through our head and our hearts all the way up to the highest power of the universe, to the energy of the sky and the sky beings. And we call these energies down to bring us generosity, to bring us blessing, to bring us protection, to bring us the mentors that will guide us on our path and the champions to help us on our journeys. We call out to these true energies and we ask these energies to be with us here today. Each one of us as a human is a place. The energies of above and below merge within us. We are part of this act of life, of creation, the alchemy of life dancing here on this planet. And so I ask each one of you to open up to receive the energy of the earth from below and the sky above and to call these energies into your belly and let them mix there that we might know this true great love of the above and below that has birthed all life as we know it here onto this planet. And into this center place, we call out to the energy of the heart, the heart that binds us all, the heart that allows us to bring the passions of our own true unique genius into our heart to be, so that we might become aware and we might realize that which calls us in this life. We call out to the energy of the heart to bring down the energy of the mind that we may become clear and shape a vision. And we call out to the energy of the heart to help these energies of passion and vision to merge that we might know why we are here and that we might use these proceedings here today to go forward along that journey, bringing our own unique genius into full manifestation in this life while we are all still young enough to enjoy the fruits of those labors. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. And as we continue to welcome in this new year, let us continue to talk about what is important What is essential in your life? We spoke in December about essences, about tending the essences in life, and about determining what is truly essential to you. And how do we begin then to live a life that tends these essences, 
that we are able to be unseduced by distraction, to let that which is unimportant fall away, and to attend with our thoughts and minds and deeds in our lives to that which is essential to us, that which gives our life heart and meaning and purpose. So this is what I hope to offer up each show this year, to help each one of us to live a life of essence and meaning. So why am I taking the time today to offer this show? Why am I bothering with taking an hour every week for Why Shamanism Now? What's the point? There are certainly many other things that I could be doing. Why? Because shamanism works. Because of your emails, because of the emails coming now from all over the world saying, thank you for this show or that show. It helped me understand this. It helped me to do that. And I ask you all to continue when you are moved by a show to spread the word and to keep that web of interconnection that moves through cyberspace connecting and growing larger and larger so that we can keep the show on the air. So I thank you very much for sharing and for continuing to share. But why are we bothering to do this today? Because there are many aspects of life that work great now. They all work in their own capacity. Psychology works in its own capacity. Allopathic medicine, or what is called Western medicine, which probably shouldn't be called Western medicine because West relative to what, but anyway, allopathic medicine, MDs and such, highly technical medicine usually. There's traditional Chinese medicine. There's naturopathic medicine. There are all these many ways to receive help and healing in our lives today. What we consider traditional, which is not really traditional, and alternative, it's all very confusing because it depends on your perspective. But the point is they all work with certain things. Some of them work all the time with certain things. Some of them work some of the times with certain things. But there's always these spaces in our life that nothing seems to work. And these are the spaces for shamanism. These are the spaces for why shamanism now. And this is what we're trying to explore together each week is how can we bring in spirit effectively to those places in our life that need to work differently or need to start working at all? And one of these places that I wanted to talk about today is in this very strange experience people are having of autism. Strange only in that it is not a complex of symptoms that the medical system can easily pin down. Um, and so what I wanted to share today was to look at a really beautiful story, which is a book and a movie now called The Horse Boy, which is about a family, Rupert and Christian Isaacson and their son Rowan, who was diagnosed with autism. And um, his symptoms manifested in his young life in, in, in a very severe end of the autistic spectrum. And this is the story of, of this family's journey of finding, discovering, really, healing for Rowan. And the reason I'd like to talk about this story, since it's certainly not my story to share, and the Isingsons have done a beautiful job sharing it in the book and the movie. Um, why am I bothering? Because I am getting emails from all over for parents of autistic children saying, should I go to Mongolia to ride horses and work with the Mongolian shamans. And so what I'd like to do is to explore this story and, and interpret it shamanically 
so that those of you who might be connected in some way with autistic people, either your own children or your niece or nephew or your relatives in some way, can understand how to take this really powerful story and interpret it in a way that it can be useful in your life. Because shamanism doesn't offer us universal cures. So what worked for the Isaacsons, which was essentially to take an incontinent child who was having autistic tantrums and could barely speak, to ride literally horseback across Mongolia to work with shamans to help to heal him. And they were looking for a miracle. And they found it to an extent. Thus, part of the beauty of this heartbreakingly wonderful story. So... What that doesn't say to us, though, is that the cure for autism is riding horses across Mongolia and seeing Mongolian shamans. That's not what the story says. And the Isaacsons are very clear about that. So let's talk today about what that story does say. What hope does it give us for how we might bring shamanism into this spectrum of autism to offer some help or relief to people that are suffering in this way? And so what I would like to do first is just summarize the horse boy story. And um, for those of you that are truly interested or know someone who might be interested, let me just share before we go into this first break that um, the first article um, about the horse boy showed up in um, the Sacred Hoop magazine, which is an exquisite publication out of the U.K., um, and it was in issue 64 in last year, 2009. And now the book uh, can be ordered through the website, which is horseboyfoundation.org. Okay, again, that's horseboyfoundation.org, because there there is um, an organization that um, where children and um, autistic children can come and work with um, the horses now that the Isaacsons have started. Nonetheless. Um, the book can most easily be ordered through their website, horseboyfoundation.org. The soundtrack for the movie is available on iTunes. And um, I'm not certain right now about the availability of the movie, but my sense would be that the website itself would be the best place to keep track of um, information about the movie. So feel free to check that out while we're talking here today, horseboyfoundation.org. So... The, so just to kind of lay the groundwork here, um, for those of you that may not know, autism is considered now really to be a spectrum um, of symptoms. It's um, a group of childhood neurodevelopmental disorders that cause impairment or cause impaired verbal communication, social interaction, and behavior. Um, it's usually diagnosed in the first three years of life, and the symptoms vary. Um, from moderate to severe along a spectrum. And so it's really currently called ASD or Autistic Spectrum, Autism Spectrum Disorder. Um, and it may affect as many as 1% of the children in America. And there's no real allopathic cure. There are many, many different treatments. And many of the treatments help some children but not others. And so this puts us in that realm where shamanism may be effective. And so this is our discussion today. So please join me after this break for Why Shamanism Now and our discussion today about shamanism and autism. back, everyone. You are listening to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today we are talking about shamanism and autism. And in particular, right now I'm going to 
um, summarize the horse boy story to the best of my ability, and I will not do this exquisite story justice, but I'll give it a shot here. So, um, again, Rowan, the child in the story, um, is expressing um, autism. He's about five and a half years old. He has very little communication. He's not able, he's incontinent. He's not able to make friends. And he's having um, autistic tantrums, which are not emotional tantrums like normal children, but this is a pain neurological um, triggered tantrum. And the father says, um, the father Rupert says this was like bombs going off inside his body. So it's really uncontrollable. And it's not a discipline issue, it's um, neurological. So one day, um, they, and, they, and they live in Texas. So one day, Rowan is walking with his father because one thing his, Rupert, his father, discovered is that um, just being out in nature seems to calm him when he was challenged. And this is important because, of course, it is in part the energy of nature that is what shamans work with um, uh, to direct towards people in their healing efforts because shamans they're doing it correctly, are not using their own energy to do healing. Okay, so they're walking out in nature, having a little walk on a regular path. Rowan gets away from his father, gets through a gap in a fence in a horse pasture, runs into the pasture and lays down on his back, looking up at about five horses that are all wandering around. And the father is afraid, as any father would be, that he's going to be trampled. And what happens is that the old boss mare in this group of horses named Betsy um, steps up to the, um, moves the other horses off, steps up to the boy, and does the equine sign of submission physically. Now, for those of you that don't work with horses, this is absolutely extraordinary that Rupert, um, the father, was an um, ex-professional horse trainer, and he had never seen anything like this. And he also, this is important, knew what it meant. That's the other thing that's important to understand here is the relationship of this family with horses. Okay, so there's this communication going, this profound communication going on between Rowan the child and Betsy the horse. And it takes a while, but eventually they figure out um, it might be a good idea to have Rowan. Um, not only be with Betsy, but maybe to sit on Betsy or possibly to ride Betsy. Now, and and they make arrangements with the neighbor because Betsy is not their horse. So they're standing beside Betsy, and um, the father asks Rowan if he'd like to be up on the horse, and Rowan responds, up. Now, with an autistic child, this is, a for Rowan at least, for this autistic child, this is a really big deal because this is his first lucid speech lucid direct speech is saying yeah up i want to be up on this horse and as soon as he is up on the horse he begins talking and this is important because some people who work with horses now horses do amazing and many different things to help us as humans get our act together there are effective programs using horses with um criminals with you know delinquent teenagers with um, people of many you know, horses are amazing healers. They're powerful, beautiful beings, and they don't take any crap from us. You have to be authentic. And so where a person's emerging as an authentic being is going to be their path to healing, putting a horse in the mix is going to draw that out of them. And there are many people that have sort of tried to explain this horse boy's experience away because of this. But remember, in this story, 
Rowan begins to speak lucidly immediately as soon as he's put on this horse. Not riding, not moving yet, just sitting. So, okay, the story moves on. They ride Betsy a lot. Not any horse, Betsy. They ride Betsy a lot. And while they're riding, Rowan can speak. They start singing. They start playing word games, spelling games, um, uh, all these different things around communication. And then as the more they do this, this translates into the child's life, meaning he can continue to communicate off the horse for longer and longer periods of time. But it's still always you know, a day, you know, half day, an hour, a half day, a day, a few days, but it always goes back. And then one day they're up on the horse and Rowan says, I love you, Betsy. This child's never even said this to his parents and he's speaking this to the horse. And she never loses his temp- her temper with Rowan, even though Rowan does absolutely everything any horse trainer would tell you would make a horse kick you in the head. So that's part one. Part two is Rupert, the father, who is South African, has a second career after being a professional horse trainer, a career as a human rights activist, particularly for um, the Bushmen in Botswana. And because of this connection, he ends up um, sort of assisting them as they come to the U.S. for um, some human rights issues here. Because of this, then, um, that puts Rowan in contact with these Bushmen and their shamans, and they offer Rowan a healing. And there's astounding results from this healing, um, a loss of symptoms, of some of the more severe symptoms, for almost five days until the Bushmen leave, and then the symptoms return. And so the parents begin to put these two things together. We have this horse thing going on and we have this shaman thing going on. What do we do with that? What might happen if we could bring these together? And so they do some research and find out that in Mongolia, you have a place on the earth. So you have a place in nature where the horses as we know them evolved over the last 6,000 years. And this is also a place where shamanism, as we know it, to a large degree, evolved. In fact, the word shaman actually comes from that area. of Shaman itself comes from that area of the world. So Rupert has this crazy idea. What if we go right across Mongolia and see the shamans and see if that will help Rowan? And then, of course, it's a crazy idea, right? I mean, what would you think if your spouse came home and said, let's go right across Mongolia with an incontinent child and see the shamans? Maybe they can help right? You've already tried everything, right? You're parents of an autistic child. You've tried everything. You've probably exhausted much of your family's financial resources doing it because you've had expensive tests. You've run around and tried everything. There's lots of networks. They've connected you to this thing that worked for that kid and this thing that worked for that kid. You've been shuttled around all over the place. In these parents' situation, none of that worked, and they did try everything. And there are many parents of autistic children in exactly that same place. So he comes up with this crazy idea. Pretty much in anybody's book, riding across Mongolia to see a bunch of shamans with an incontinent child is a crazy idea. And they fight over it for about two years, the husband and wife. Why not? It's a crazy idea. But they go, finally. In 2007, they go. And this is what the story is about, of course. So the first shamans are right there just as they get to Mongolia. It was a very, very energy-intensive healing ritual. Um, it was somewhat initially overstimulating for Rowan and largely focused on healings for Kristen, the wife, and Rupert, the father, the husband and wife. 
uh, mother and father. So this, of course, and these are crazy things for a person who's not real familiar with shamanism in, it, in its natural environments. So there was big stress and big doubt. Big stress in the relationship, big doubt, what the hell are we doing? We've come all the way to Mongolia. We can't speak the language. Our kid's freaking out. They're, make, they're spitting you know, horse milk in our face. What the hell is going on and why in the world did we decide to do that? And then something shifts. Ryan starts calming down, he starts laughing, he starts playing with the shamans. And at the end of the, sh- end of the ceremony, Rowan is just standing there, turns to a little Mongolian boy and says, Mongolian brother, this child who has not been able to connect with his peers yet in his life makes his first friend right there right after that ritual. So the story continues. Troubles, hazards, alarms, stress. I mean, they are riding across the continent. And so then they find, they're trying to get to these particular shamans, this one particular shaman across the country who is considered one of the most effective shamans in Mongolia. And it's lucky they even found him because he's part of these reindeer herding people that are nomadic and they're not necessarily here or there. It's a miracle they found the shaman in the first place, but they find the shaman. And in the first healing, the shaman does essentially a cleansing and a divination with Rowan. And then the shaman sends them home, not home, but to their tent. And the shaman takes the night to communicate with his helping spirits. Specifically, and this is, I find, shamanically very interesting, he says that he needed to journey to Betsy, the horse from the very beginning, who is Rowan's protector and guide, and to talk with her about how to proceed. Now, I don't know whether he'd been told about Betsy or not, but I find that beautiful and very interesting shamanically. And then Rowan goes home after this first healing with the shaman and sleeps for 14 hours. Can you imagine your seven-year-old child sleeping for 14 hours who's normally hyperactive? Okay, so the second healing is very quiet. It's largely the shaman journeying. I'm not clear what actually happens in that healing. But during it, Rowan is seeing animal spirits, and when it's done, they're just sent off to sleep, and the shaman says he's going to come in the morning. So third healing, the shaman comes the next morning, does some hands-on extraction work on Rowan that morning. And then the shaman says that Rowan would gradually become less and less autistic until the age of nine. And that the really really challenging stuff they were dealing with, symptoms they were dealing with, would go away beginning immediately. And that Rowan would need at least one big healing annually until he was nine. That very day, this child has his first intentional poo and cleans himself. And these really challenging symptoms continue to abate immediately after that day. The tantrums ultimately end. The incontinence ultimately ends. And being cut off off from his peers ultimately ends. Now, Rowan is still autistic. but But now he's effective and productive. And the family got its miracle. What parent wouldn't ask me in an email? This might sound silly, but after hearing about the movie Horse Boy, I've actually thought about taking my son or daughter to Mongolia to see the shamans. Um, can shamans in Portland do this, um, or do we need to go to Mongolia? I mean, you focus on emotional and physical healing, right? What parent wouldn't ask that after hearing this story? But what I want to talk about today is what is it that made this story work shamanically for the Isaacsons? Because they tried everything just like all these other parents, right? 
So what do we need to look at to understand how you, as a parent or an aunt or an uncle or grandmother or grandfather of an autistic child, could understand how to take this beautiful story and apply it to your loved one? There, there, this, there, most people would translate this horse boy story as an allopathic answer. But that's not the case. But it does lay out more markers on a path that we can work with to help not necessarily cure autism, but to help to abate the symptoms challenging the child. So this is what we're going to talk about, um, and I hope you'll join me after this break. Thank you for joining me so far today. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, on Why Shamanism Now. And today we are talking about shamanism and autism. And in particular, we're looking at the story, The Horse Boy. And let's look at the parts of this story that matter shamanically, or there are markers along this path. This particular path may not help any other autistic child. Who knows? But there are markers along the path. So let's look at that. So first and foremost in this story is the beautiful fact or chance or whatever we want to call it that the father discovers the boy's connection to horse spirit and to Betsy, this horse in particular. In any shaman's life to have, um, a, or person's life, to have your helping spirit, your primary helping spirit in the spirit world and physically manifest in your everyday world is a big double whammy of spirit help. So that was that's a phenomenal event. Nonetheless, the key to this whole story is this boy's spirit-based relationship with the horse and that we would call this his power animal in shamanic language. Um, but it was also the specific power animal that could help the boy heal his autism, the specific power animal who could speak to the shaman and help him understand what needed to happen for the boy. And so what a parent would need to do um, for is to find your own child's power animal, the one who can help your child to heal. Um, and you essentially need for your child what the horse was for Rowan. And um, finding that connection is the key point around which this story and its healing unfolds. And while many local shamans to you here in America are probably not as powerful as that final shaman that did the healing in Mongolia for many reasons, which we've talked about in other shows, they can certainly help any parents help to determine a child's power animals. You as parents, though, can notice, just as Rupert did, with the activity of that horse around Rowan. Now, granted, it was pretty extreme, and but you know, a parent who didn't understand horses might not have understood it. But pay attention what is your child oddly interested in? What does draw your child's attention? Even before meeting Betsy, Rowan was interested in feeding the horses at his own home. I mean, there was already an interest there, so pay attention. The second thing is that the Mongolian shamans were able to help first because they were horse people, and secondly, because they were very skilled and powerful traditional shamans. So if your child's power animal turns out to be a whale, you could travel to New Zealand um, to see the people that are um, expressed really beautifully in the movie The Whale Rider. Not that the movie was about the same thing, about autism, but the point is there are peoples 
whose shamanic traditions revolve around certain animals, the Sami shamans and the reindeers. Um, and the uh, Amazonian shamans and the anaconda. So, so you could do some research. You could buy the Encyclopedia of Shamanism off my website, lastmasscenter.org, and do some research. Find the shamans that, that have always been guided at the very core of their shamanic cosmology and traditions by the helping spirit that is the, your child's helping spirit. So that's essentially what the Isaacsons did. Not intentionally, but that's how we can follow this template. Um, and then the third point is to note that a lot of shamanic healing work was done on the mother and the father and then the child by the Mongolian shamans. And a lot of it was extraction, cleansings. There might have been some depossession work. We don't know. I don't know, th- I don't know the details of the different healings. And I don't know what was going on in many of the um, rituals where the shamans were largely just in a trance state getting information from the spirit world and working. And it's, it's unclear. But the point is the parents were willing to do anything. And they were willing to do really strange, challenging things to create the context in which it will help the child heal. And we'll talk about that in the last section a little bit here, which is about the fact that all children are affected by what I call the energy soup. In other words, the energy, that, the energetic environment of the parents, whether they're present or absent. The point is there's an energetic environment created by the energy of the two parents. It's not good or bad, it just is. Some of it is problematic for some children. Some of it is not. But the point is in this story, what it's showing us, as is almost always the case with a child who needs healing, that the parents need to be willing to heal too. And in this case, the Isaacsons were willing. So I think my sense from the horse boy is that following your child's path is a great idea. You know, you could use a local shaman to help find your child's power animal. You could find the shamanic people that work with that power animal and and be able to connect with people who have that deep traditional relationship with that animal and its healing powers. So that's the basics of how this story can be translated into the lives of other families and other autistic children. But let's talk a little bit here about this energy soup idea. Because the whole issue of the energy created by the mother and father coming together in which the children grow, it's like they're swimming in this soup for the first, you know, I don't know, 15, 18 years of their life, depending on the kid. And they can't get out of it. It doesn't really matter whether their parents are there or not. They're still in that soup. That is the energetic dynamic of children and parents. And it's even more complicated with adoption because then the kid is swimming in the soup of their biological parents and their adoptive parents. And it's a very complicated soup. And and that's the reality for the kids. Well, it's a reality for these autistic children as well. And so what I've found as I have worked with autistic children, I have certainly never had the dramatic experience that the Isaacsons had, but People also usually come and just ask for one session, and the Isaacson certainly committed to far more than one session with a local shamanic healer. But what I have found often in working with autistic children is that children, these children do often respond well to shamanism, just as Rowan does in the story. But that when it comes to, that there are always things that arise for the parents to do, and that often, in spite of the fact that parents always say, I will do anything to help my child, 
when push comes to shove, my experience so far has been that the parents don't do it. And that is the other thing we all need to step up here and accept about this story. They did a crazy thing. They committed. Both parents committed. And this is what is really important to understand about that story. It's not just about Rowan and the shamans. It is about these parents. And I'm not saying parents who aren't willing to ride across Mongolia are bad parents. I'm just saying we need to look at what people are willing to do. So I had a parent ask me, well, what steps um, were the parents of autistic children you worked with unwilling to take? You know, and what I saw was, you know, the implications are almost, with autistic children are almost always that some of the agitation has to do with this energetic soup of the home environment. And that often the parents could fix that fairly easily. It doesn't necessarily require riding across Mongolia. One woman was simply asked to go take a training so she would manage her energy better and be more conscious. She wouldn't do it. She could afford it. She just couldn't make the time. Well, you know, the other thing that comes up with children um, on the high-functioning end of the autism spectrum is that both the child and the parents can learn to journey and connect with their own power animals and consult with them and to act on their advice. And in this way, spirit would be able to help the child and the parents directly. They don't even need the shaman in this situation. But in all of these situations, the child was too young to be expected to do this practice of journeying on their own. They would need to do it with their parents. They loved doing it, but they were too young to do it on their own. Um, and, and, but they would have and they could have with their parents. And in each of these cases, the parents would not participate. So it could have been like a shared activity, like let's color now, let's play now, let's journey now. But the parents weren't willing. And they had a million excuses of why, but the bottom line was they weren't willing to do it. And it's not uncommon in America for people to just want the healing actions and to not listen to the healing instructions. In Africa, people would never do that. In other countries where they work with shamans, they would never do that. But here it's very, very common. And that's part of what I really liked about the horse boy story and why it unfolds the way it does is that the parents are willing to do whatever it takes even when that sounds totally crazy. And I just, I love those stories when people are willing to do what sounds crazy because in my life experience, that's how it actually works. If you want to change your life, not just autism, if you want to change your life, you're, you're living in the logical conclusion of your life right now. There isn't anything else but what you have right now unless you're willing to change. You have to change something in the fundamental equation of your life, to change. And this is the thing about this story is you have to be willing to do what it takes to change some fundamental part of that equation of your life. You're living in the logical conclusion now. If you want a different result, you must change something fundamental. And that is what this show is really about. How do you effectively transform? If you've got very little time, money, and resources, what can you do? that's going to allow to, to change you to change something in that fundamental math of your life. That's transformation, and that's what we're talking about on Why Shamanism Now. So I hope you'll join me um, after this break for the wrap-up of this show about autism. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, with Why Shamanism Now, and today we are talking about shamanism and autism. So 
continuing with how would you as a parent or an auntie or an uncle or a grandparent of an autistic child approach this story of the horse boy and how might you bring that into your life? One of another things that parents have emailed me um, is basically what kind of crazy things might I be asked to do? <laughs> Which is, you know, a valid question. Um, and I agree that traveling to Mongolia and riding across the country to see shamans with an incontinent tantruming child when you don't speak the language would sound pretty crazy for most people. But was it really crazy for the Isaacsons? Okay, the father's a professional horse trainer, right? The family had horses, and the boy was already showing an attention to them that he hadn't shown consistently to other things. And the father already had an interest in shamanism from his life in um, South Africa. So, so was it really that crazy that these people would be asked to put these two things together? So the decision to go really just quickened a life path they were probably already on. So crazy, this crazy part is really just about being asked to do something now that you will eventually be asked to do anyway, unless you simply refuse to wake up in your life. I mean, you can continue to do the same thing forever if you're going to refuse to wake up, but if you're going to refuse to wake up, my guess is you wouldn't be listening to the show. So crazy, so that feeling of being asked by spirit to do something crazy, assuming you actually understand what you're being asked to do, is often simply that you're being quickened. You're being asked to do it now instead of later. Right? And that quickenings are ultimately good things. And in every case, that's really what parents were being presented with. And I've seen similar patterns with parents dealing with, you know, teenage girls that cut themselves or boys that refuse to go to school or any really challenging, persistent pattern in a family is that the path forward for the miracle that you want feels crazy. It feels undoable. But it fits the family. And in retrospect, there were almost always signs, just like this, the Rowan's early attention to the horses. And another really common question I get from one parent is, what if my spouse isn't willing? You know, what if my spouse isn't willing to ride across Mongolia to see the shamans, right? Um, so what any one parent and a child does will change everything for everyone in a family because that's the way family systems work. Um, so what is beautiful about the horse boy story is that the couple really struggled with this. They struggled through the whole thing. And in the end, and, and in each step along the way, they moved forward together. So changing um, the family dynamic always creates stress. So if one parent and the autistic child were to do whatever, it would create stress in the family dynamic. But that stress also creates opportunity. It creates opportunity for change in the family system. And the only way any, anyone is going to get better is if the family system changes because it's the logical conclusion of the current family system belief system, right? And so once that opportunity is created, then others in the family can become curious and open up in ways you would never expect that to happen. And we never know until we're there. We, we, never, we never know how these things will work. So... All I can say, or what I can say from the horse boy, is that what is important is that you understand your children's power animals. You help them to develop a relationship with their power animals. And that if you want healing that isn't coming to you through other means, 
shamanism may offer that to you. And it's possible that you will need to go to visit shamans in other parts of the world. And partly this is also because different shamanic cultures in different parts of the world were responding to the spirits of the land there and the animals that were there and learning from them. So different shamanic cultures became specialists and experts in different aspects of shamanism. Shamanism is a a vast complex of healing modalities. Um, It's really quite beautiful. And certain cultures really mastered certain parts. And that's another aspect as to why a family would be given a certain path, certain pa- a child would be given certain power animals, and a certain path would unfold for a family because it's those shamans who would be able to do what is necessary to help the child to heal. And this is actually true for anybody trying to find look for healing. So why does shamanism work? And there is a quote, actually, in um, the Horse Boy book that I thought is, was really beautiful. So, you know, Rupert, they, you know, because Rowan, um, part of the prescription was for him to have a big annual healing ritual at least once a year, they've done that, and they've used that as an opportunity to visit shamans in different parts of the globe. And Rupert asks all of them, why does shamanism work? And the, the really beautiful answer that is consistent across culturally is simply this, and now I'm quoting Rupert. It's, Rupert quoting the shamans. It's just love, pure and simple. Only through training you can learn to direct it. That's what we do. And so that's what shamanism is. It's taking this energy that is the fundamental energy of all living things. Not love like romantic human love, but the binding love that connects all things, that is at the essence of all things, and learns then how to direct that energy to accomplish certain ends. And that's what shamans are trained to do. But it's not about this power or that power. It's about learning how to effectively mobilize this life force energy in all things to bring things into a higher state of balance and well-being. And that's what shamans do. So I hope that you've enjoyed this show. I hope that you will share it with anyone in your family who is dealing with autism at this time. Um, this article, the Horse Boy article, again, appeared first in Sacred Hoop, um, which is a magazine out of the U.K., and it's issue 64 from last year, 2009. The book and the movie, if you want information about the book and the movie, you can find that on the horseboyfoundation.org on the website. And the website also says that the soundtrack for the movie is available on iTunes. And um, for more information about shamanism, the resources out there, if you're starting to look at shamanism globally, are not excellent and they're a bit hard to wade through because many of them are fairly academic. And I can say that with some authority because I waded through most of them in researching the Encyclopedia of Shamanism. If you would like to get to a paperback version of that, if you want to do some research, you can get that through my website, and it's the least expensive way to get it, at lastmasscenter.org. Um, you can also reach me at christina at lastmasscenter.org. And uh, for any information about shamanic healing um, services here, just feel free to email us. And um, Other than that, I just want to ask you to please continue to share the information about the show with others. 
all the shows from last year, all 52 shows, are available for free download on the Voice America site, on my page on the Voice America site, and through iTunes at the iTunes library. So um, download freely and share them with your friends. And um, let's take a moment here and give thanks to the ancestors for joining us here today. We give thanks for the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. I hope you'll all join me again whatever time you download the show next week for our topic, which is learning to listen to the voices of spirit. Thank you all, and have a great week. <laughs> 